Welcome to the Church Basement Podcast. Today's topic is churchy language at the beginning of worship. Grab a cup of coffee or tea, strap on your running shoes, or pick up your knitting needles and join us. Let us introduce ourselves. I'm Pastor Amanda Zenzelow, and I serve as the pastor at Central Lutheran Church in Northeast Portland, Oregon. And I'm Dawn Miller, a member here at Central and the producer of the podcast. Okay, this one is all you, my friend. Yep, it totally is. Here's the situation. Martin, our director of music ministries here at the church and I, Mm -hmm. met today in order to talk about next year. So we're looking from the academic kickoff in September through December, through Christmas, kind of looking at how do we want to structure out the year? What kind of liturgies are we looking at? What kind of feel are we looking at? What are we going to share with the music team and the worship team as they do the preparation work? And so what are we going to delegate to them and what are Mm -hmm. we going to hold on to? All that kind of stuff. Now, we've done a podcast on, like, preparing a worship service. We have. We've done one on Rally Sunday, which is sort of the kickoff. Exactly. The thing that we were talking about today that I thought would be interesting for a podcast was the opening music of our liturgy. So one of the things that Martin has in this last year really kind of increased is our use of the pieces called the Gloria or the Kyrie or This is the Feast. Those are the first words of each of those pieces of music. Mm -hmm. Where it falls is after I've said hello and good morning to everyone, Mm -hmm. and then we have an opening hymn, then there's this new piece of music. And it's not new, but we just didn't do it as often previously. Okay. And one of the challenges of it is that it is a longer text after a hymn has already been sung, and it's the same text every single week. Okay. And so it's noticeable when it's there. Well, you got a couple of things working against you. Not (laughs) only the length, but you typically stand through a lot of this stuff. Absolutely. You stand through all of this. So not only could you be getting bored of the text itself, Mm -hmm. but you're just standing there staring off into what hopefully is some beautiful stained glass windows. (laughs) Right? Right. Exactly. And so we were looking at it. And the problem is, maybe it's not a problem, but the challenge, Mm -hmm. shall we say, is that these three pieces of our liturgy, these three pieces of liturgical music are filled with weird churchy language. Okay. It's language we don't normally use. It's language that has esoteric meanings that we may or may not have actually dug into in our lifetime to understand what it is. And so not only have you been standing for a long time, it feels like a weird part of worship, Mm -hmm. and the language is weird. It may be something that almost even can clash because it's very often masculine-centered language. Oh, interesting. See, now here my Catholic background has me not even really paying attention. Sure. Because that just signals to me especially having done that as a young child, this Mm -hmm. is what church is. Exactly. But for some people, it's really disruptive. Oh, sure. And having it right off at the top of the service stops them from being able to enter into worship in a really easy way. Mm -hmm. So Martin and I sat down today and we started talking about, okay, well then where does this come from? And what is its purpose? And how do we work with this? And I'm a liturgical nerd. I love the liturgy. I love the roots of the liturgy. I love the depth of the tradition. I love getting to sing something that I know has been sung for generations or even 
thousands of years. Mm -hmm. It really feeds me and it roots me in something beyond my own self and my own faith. And I love that. This all sounds like positives. Right. And there are many people who, if they don't understand what it is that they're singing, it just feels discordant. It feels hypocritical. It feels detaching. And I have had time with this kind of weird churchy language Mm -hmm. to find ways to understand what it means. Mm -hmm. But I have that as a luxury in my life. Not everyone has had time to research what does it mean that Jesus is the Lamb of God. Or have taken a class. Or have taken classes in it. Exactly. Mm -hmm. So I'm at an advantage on Mm -hmm. that. So in our conversation, we were kind of wrestling around with... I believe that when you understand the purpose of the tradition, not that it is a tradition, but what was the purpose of it? Why is it there? What does that piece of our liturgical puzzle do within the worship service? Then if you are in keeping with that intent, you can change the language. You can change the way it looks on the outside. Because you're keeping the heartbeat of the purpose. Okay, I'm going to ask you a quick question here. Mm -hmm. Is this then an ELCA thing? Because I'm thinking other denominations would be less likely to change that language for one reason or another. This is a Pastor Amanda thing. This is a Pastor... Okay. Right. And this is where we have to tread really carefully. And this is where part of the conversation that Martin and I were having today and part of my hesitancy on some of this stuff is I don't want to be a lone wolf. Sure. I'm not willing to have our congregation say words in liturgy that no one else in Christendom says, right? Okay. Like that detaches us from our brothers and sisters of faith. And so how do we enter in with authenticity? How do we enter in with integrity And at the same time, speak to our context and maintain the purpose. Mm -hmm. So an example of where I have played with this a bit is the Easter Vigil. Okay. And understanding the purpose of the Easter Vigil and understanding where it fit within the sacraments and the traditions and the uses and the purposes and the intent. Quick recap. The Easter Vigil is typically that long Saturday night Mm -hmm. service. Mm Mm-hmm. Getting you through to Sunday morning. Right. It has, within our experience of it, Mm -hmm. has become very much just a boring, long service with a lot of boring, long readings that no one goes to because it's boring and long and you only (laughs) attend if you've been asked to read one of the readings. Unless you're Catholic and you're forced to go. Right. Because your father's dragging you along. Right. Probably maybe because your father's singing in the choir or having to do one of the readings. Mm -hmm. Right. So it's the people who participate in the service and their voluntold families. Yes. Historically. Historically, who have gone. And yet you are turning it into something a little different here. I have. And I will say this as well. Within the Orthodox tradition, the vigil is very different. The vigil is kept very different. And it's still the festival. It's still the feast. It's still the amazing, awesome Mm -hmm. thing that hasn't gotten so bogged down Mm -hmm. that it doesn't hold the jubilation that it historically did. Okay. So I shifted it here for lots of different reasons, but holding on to and maintaining the purpose of the vigil, 
I made it fit within our context. And now of our Holy Week of our Triduum services, Monday, Thursday, Good Friday, and Easter Vigil, you can take the attendance from both Thursday and Friday, and I still have more people than those on two Saturday? services combined on Saturday. Nice. right? And not because the attendance is everything. Numbers are not the answer, and numbers don't automatically mean success. But what it does mean is that it's meeting the need. It's meeting the people who want to worship in a way and to interact in a way that has significant purpose for them. And so I'm looking then at this opening pieces of music Mm -hmm. and saying, how do we use these in a way that is going to have meaning? In order to do that, we have to understand what the heck they even are. Sure. And why they're even in our service at all. Sure. Other than our musician really likes to play that music and so wants to play the music, mm-hmm. right? There has to be a reason other than I like it for it to be in a worship service. All right. So then give me some history. Why is it there? Here we go. The main one that I want to take a look at is the Gloria. Okay. So it's the one that starts out with glory to God in the highest and peace to God's people on earth. Sure. Lord God, heavenly King, almighty God and Father, we worship you. We praise you. Mm-hmm. We... Mm-hmm. Okay, you hear kind of where I'm going. You're hearing it in your head. Yep. For folks who have not heard it, for folks who are unfamiliar with this, we'll pop up a link to on our blog. You can find the actual blog at centralportland.org. Click on the podcast button and you'll find the blog post where there will be a couple of links, maybe one to one to a Gloria, one to a Kyrie. There you go. Okay. So the Kyrie comes before the Gloria. The Kyrie is this Lord have mercy, Christ have mercy, Lord have mercy piece okay that is done and then the gloria is what i just described with the glory to god in the highest uh-huh. they are set for different times of the year when you're supposed to use one or the other oh so they don't both happen it's one or the other one they can happen together often it is one or the other okay so the curie happens during penitential seasons okay lent and advent the Gloria happens during celebratory seasons. So the Kyrie alone during penitential seasons. The Gloria alone during celebratory seasons such as Easter. Uh-huh. Both of them combined during... High holy days, I'm guessing? Uh, actually during like ordinary time. Oh, really? Kind of thing. I think I could get my rubrics wrong on that one, but I think that that's kind of, All right. kind of the way. But, or you can have neither of them. Mm-hmm. You don't have to have them, which is where I started getting really confused. If we don't have to have them, why are we having them at all? Mm-hmm. So going back and researching when they started. I like, just assumed it was Latin-based. It is Latin-based. Okay. But it goes all the way back to like third century Christianity. <laughs> that is really hopping in the way back machine. Yeah. Yeah. We're going back to, I think, the Gloria first begins showing up in written liturgies around 306. Huh. CE. That's really pretty far back there. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't prescribed, it wasn't used within the traditional mass until much later. Okay. But the roots of it are really far back. And so you find the roots, particularly of the Gloria, so the Kyrie, the Lord have mercy, Christ have mercy, Lord have mercy. That's something that was called out from the road, right? So you'll read in the scripture of the lepers who see Jesus and mm-hmm. say, Kyrie eleison, 
Lord, have mercy. Christ eleison, Christ have mercy, right? So these words, the Kyrie eleison and Christ eleison, those Latin words go way back and have roots in the scripture of calling out to God for mercy and for hope and for help. Okay. And so that's the purpose of the Kyrie, is that kind of we start in our worship service calling out to God to have mercy on us and to be present with and among us. It has developed into having multiple verses that if there are verses to the particular Kyrie setting. Mm -hmm. So for this holy house, for your people here who've come to give us praise, we pray to you, Lord, have mercy. Right. So you have these kind of back and forth things. Kyrie's oftentimes are in threes. We like our threes. Mm -hmm. If you have someone who says, Lord, have mercy. Oftentimes, if there's a smart aleck around, a.k.a. if me and my friends are together, (laughs) someone else will go, Christ, have mercy. And then the other person goes, Lord, have mercy, because they should always come in threes, Mm -hmm. because we do have a Trinitarian God. I am such a purist that it rises my ire when we do like the Lord, have mercy, Christ, have mercy, Lord, have mercy. And then we repeat it just to make sure that everybody's gotten the tune right. Uh But then we stop because now we're doing... Now you want it one more time? Yeah, because it should be a threefold. (laughs) That is hilarious. Is this something that is written in the book as part of the setting, or is this something that you pick out otherwise, individually? It's written within the setting. Okay. And you can use it or not use it depending upon the season. Okay. There are also curiers written as individual pieces. Sure. That you can choose to use if you wish, if you're piecemealing your liturgy together. Mm Mm-hmm. So that's what the Kyrie is. The Gloria then comes really from this early, like, first obvious written down portions of it historically are around 306 CE. And what I found fascinating in my research today is that it comes out of biblical basis. It comes from the glory to God in the highest and peace to God's people on earth. Mm -hmm. That line comes from... The angels singing over the shepherds in Bethlehem at the birth of Christ. So that's the historical basis of this piece of music. Now, the verses, the three verses that follow that are filled with churchy language. Yes, they are. Are all written by human hand post that, right? But the purpose of the piece is to center us in that incredible joy that God came to earth. It's the incarnation and the celebration of the incarnation. I had never picked up on that before today, which says to me that going through the rote habits of just singing the Mm -hmm. music because we're supposed to Mm -hmm. does not bring the depth of the purpose It doesn't say to me, I'm going to get so amazingly excited that God chose to be a human being in this world. Well, and I don't think it's necessarily something that is lost in translation, as it were, because you're talking about words that were written a very long time ago in a very different language. Yeah. Which I'm guessing also is why some of it seems so odd and we're calling it churchy Yeah, because of that. It gets to be that, but it's also just language that we only use in church. Sure. Well, and by the time you compound it with the 
repetition and mm-hmm. it's now by rote, you're just not paying attention to it that way either. Totally. Now, now you have a double whammy against you. Yeah. And I think the language like only begotten son of the father, Lord God, lamb of God, you take away the sins of the world, have mercy on us. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know. I don't oftentimes sit down and think about that stuff. Well, when I want to pull out a 50 cent word, the begotten is a fun one to throw around. But (laughs) But, no, that's not typical. Right. And I don't often take the time to sit down and think about what does it mean Mm -hmm. that God came to earth? That's what that verse is saying, right? Only begotten son of the father is we believe that Jesus is God. Mm-hmm. And became a human being. And we don't know why or how that happened, but we believe that Jesus really was God and Jesus was really human. And that's a really crazy idea mm-hmm. and kind of powerful and overwhelming. Mm-hmm. And you take away the sins of the world because that's a pretty you, bold statement. Because you loved so mm-hmm. much and because God loves so much, the things that we do that mess everything up, you're still going to love us through it. That's what that says. Have mercy on us. Like, yeah, show up and love us. Be Mm -hmm. with us, right? So however we want to rewrite it so that we can actually enter into the mystery and the awe of the incarnation, that's what that piece is about. And I had not picked up on that until doing that research, which is why I wanted to talk about it on today's podcast, because I think it's really fascinating. There's another piece of music that was written in the late 70s and put into our Lutheran Book of Worship. That's the green hymnal before our current one Mm -hmm. that kind of went away from just that one piece of scripture out of Luke, the Bethlehem passage where the angels are over the shepherds. Mm -hmm. And so it starts out with, this is the feast. Mm -hmm. And so the words on that one are, this is the feast of victory for our God. Hallelujah. Yes, this is when I came into the church, so I know this one well. For the Lamb Mm -hmm. who was slain has begun his reign. Mm -hmm. Hallelujah. Right? Again, really, really, really churchy language. Don't know that I ever walk around saying the Lamb who was slain has begun his reign, ladies and gentlemen. Like, I don't say that kind of stuff. So what's the purpose? Where does it come from? Well, the scriptural root of that is the book of Revelation. Oh, Okay. It's a passage in the book of Revelation. And again, if we're talking about that this has to do with the incarnation of God, when we unpack the whole piece about Jesus being born in Bethlehem, and when we unpack that the shepherds of Bethlehem were the ones who took care of the sheep that were being born and bred specifically as the most sacred animals for sacrifice in the Mm -hmm. temple at the Passover, then when we can start to connect the Passover lamb, the perfect, beautifully cared for lamb that would be offered at the Passover to give thanks for God saving the people from bondage and slavery... Jesus was born in that same place, mm-hmm. greeted by the same holy shepherds, wrapped in the same swaddling clothes, wrapped in the same swaddling bands, mm-hmm. and was sacrificed at the same time as the Passover lamb mm-hmm. when he was on the cross. Right now, all this lamb imagery makes sense. Starts to make some sense. Mm-hmm. 
But if I'm just standing in the pews going, the lamb who was slain has begun his reign, I, I have no clue what any of that means. Because it, it's such rich, deep metaphor that is mm-hmm. so esoteric. Mm-hmm. It sounds arcane. It sounds arcane. Mm-hmm. So Martin and I are talking about how do we, and this sounds so blasphemous to my ears, I'm just going to say it and kind of wince as I'm saying it. It hit me. How do we rewrite these words in order? I'm going to say update or refresh (laughs) and not rewrite. (laughs) You're giving them a little bit of a lift, that's all. And not because we think that we have the right way of doing it, and not because you know, thousands of years of history are wrong or bad or any of that kind of thing, but because we're wanting to make it accessible within our context. New eyes, fresh perspective. I don't think it's a bad thing. And so... Bold, but not bad. (laughs) So that's what we're looking at. Mm -hmm. We're looking at how can we keep these pieces while at the same time speaking them into our context. Mm Mm-hmm. And so this is what's on our mind. This is what we're talking about today. I love it. As long as you don't get gimmicky and weird, go all auto-tune on it or something. I think it'll be great. It'll be interesting. And no promises that it's going to happen anytime soon. But we've heard (laughs) from our people that the language is not helpful. Okay. And so we're taking a look at how can we continue to be rooted within our tradition and the purpose of it while speaking within our context with integrity. So... That's the challenge. And churchy language can be really a big bar to entry. And you've got to go back. You've got to do that research to figure out, well, why in heaven's name are we talking? And so what does this translate to? It reminds me constantly of doing Shakespeare, like being a Shakespearean actress and having to find that way of understanding what does this even mean? Oh, that's a perfect analogy because that can be such a barrier to entry for so many people. Absolutely. And it's beautiful and it's rich and it's stunning and it's filled with meaning and awesome things. And if you cannot understand or translate what it means, you're just left in the it's cold. It's useless. It's absolutely useless. So, so well, that's, the, that's the conversation. I'm looking forward to seeing how this changes. <laughs> Those of you who are not local... You may have to keep your eye on the Facebook live stream, see if you notice anything in the future. There you go. And if there are folks who are listening to this who really find that offensive, go ahead and write in, let me know. Mm-hmm. And uh, we start a dialogue. We start a dialogue. And I get it. I do not walk into this thinking that I have the right answers and that my ideas are the best. And I'm not trying to lone wolf this at all. But there's got to be a way to reach our people. And there's got to be a way to honor the tradition. Excellent. All right. I think I have a guess. However, my last question to you is this. Which is your favorite term of these crazy, old-timey? Old-timey, wordy stuff? Mm Mm-hmm. I still resonate with the Kyrie eleison. Mm Mm-hmm. I still resonate with that a lot. And maybe that's because, I mean, that goes back to pre-Christ, right? That's in our Gospels. Mm -hmm. And so when it comes to those moments when words are failing me and I don't know how to pray anymore, Mm -hmm. being able to fall back on Kyrie eleison is a really powerful call out. And so I love the Kyrie. I really do. Excellent. 
Well, thank you, Pastor Amanda, for taking the time to help us learn a little more about the churchy language in our worship music. I look forward to sitting down with you another week on another topic. As do I. And thank you all for listening along. I hope it was intriguing. If you have questions, thoughts, comments, concerns, we would love to hear from you. You can always email us at podcast at centralportland.org. You're welcome to leave us a review on iTunes or find us on Facebook. It would be wonderful to hear from you. Until we are back in your ears again, remember, God loves you, no matter what.